Does Finn have enough left in the tank to ascend the ropes? We're going to find out as Finn Balor is going up top. John Cena's in the drop zone. Finn Balor heading up top. Could it be Balor's moment? Balor with a crew to roll to John Cena. Balor crawling to the cover. Here's the hook of the leg on Cena. Shoulders are down. I know I'm a state away right now, but like it could have been visible from space. The tent getting pitched hey. about, oh, I don't know, about 9.58 p.m. Monday night. Oh, goodness. Just thinking about the three of us at Chase Field. Just basking in the moment when Balor beats Brock Lesnar clean in the middle. One, two, three. Are we uh are we leading off with not wrestling talk? Because I have a few things. <laughs> I think we have to. Uh, okay. We have to get it out of the way, and then you know I'm trying to think of uh, feedback we've gotten recently. Maybe if you're a guy named Justin, this might be the part that you just fast forward through. I can't remember if he fast forwards through the racing or the wrestling part, but it's one or the other. If so... he fast forwarded through both, he would literally fast forward yeah. through the entire show. So. <laughs> Right. We don't have much we don't have much wiggle room with them there. Speaking I of the saw, show, this is Tell Me Where Mrs. to Turn. Mrs. Can... Tommy in the background. Yeah, she's disrupting the show already. <laughs> our wheels have just shot. It's like that give the Indy car where all four wheels shoot off at the same time. That's what just happened. <laughs> she's only waving her hand though. That's that's the reason we still have a show. <laughs> you can find the show on Twitter at Where to Turn Pod. You can find me at Tommy two underscore zero. You can find me at Glenn three underscore 11. And you can find me at point break underscore Dave. So let's start not wrestling. So one thing off the top, um, which we'll get into later, but my Monday night, I was watching true detective a day late. So I did not watch raw live which meant I had to uh, fit it in in a few different sessions watching on my phone. So luckily, um, because I hate having to do the Hulu thing because it's edited to like a 90-minute show and they leave stuff out. But my cable provider, if you have it on your DVR, you can watch it on your phone. So that works out well. But you cannot easily scrub fast forward skip anything oh, so you're you stuck know, with the full broadcast you know when that hurts whenever when Bobby Corbin's Lashley, out there when, when there's Bobby a, Lashley spearing someone for a title <laughs> when there's a lucha house party versus the revival <laughs> tag match that's whoa when you, what kind of match did you call that 
Huh? What kind of match did you say that was? Lucha House Party versus The Revival? No, after that. I didn't say anything. What was that word you said after that? What kind of match? I think it rhymed with stag. Okay. I just didn't know if I heard you correctly. <laughs> I All I know is I was watching it sounded like a Buccaneers defense to me. <laughs> I, uh, I was watching it live, and I did like the Abraham Simpson gif where I walked in the room and saw that and immediately turned around and just walked out and said, I'll come back in 10. <laughs> See if it's time for a moment of bliss yet. <laughs> Boy, how, talk, I was going to say, we need to talk Balor first. We they, they, we had to talk Balor and work, work back backwards <laughs> okay. from that. All right. All right. So it comes down to, it's a fatal four way match because it, the, uh, at the Rumble, it's supposed to be Braun Strowman against Lesnar for the Universal title. But we know Strowman just had like this major surgery on his elbow, and we knew that he wasn't ready. So they concoct this scheme, this bit where essentially he is running after Baron Corbin and then vandalizes Vince McMahon's limo. So Vince kicks him out of the Universal title. And, match, and which, by by vandalizing, you, you mean flips it completely upside down. <laughs> let's uh, and let's talk about why wrestling is the greatest thing in the world. Like Strowman is injured. Everyone knows that he's come to the ring with his arm in a sling after the surgery. Any other sport, they're like, hey, he's still injured. But no, <laughs> wrestling, we have to have him turn over a car, and then. Get Vince McMahon to throw him out of the title shot. So, how do you think they they shot and faked that car flip? Because I thought usually when they do those, the camera angles are a lot more suspicious than this one was. He was looking down at at I don't know if it was both ends of the car, but definitely toward the front end of it. As he bends down to deadlift it up, he takes a long look. They had something hooked to it to get it up to a certain point, and then I guess he probably has to maybe not push the whole thing over, but to, but to push it where he's not going to injure himself doing that. Obviously, he didn't lift a limo by himself <laughs> and turn it over. So that's what I was going to ask you guys. There's no way he lifted the whole car, right? No. No. We're sure about that? No, that's not. I can't see that as being possible. Did you guys like that when he was running around looking for Baron Corbin, there's just several of our favorite characters all in the montage. One is Sunil Singh gets thrown across like essentially a picnic table. And then Elias is just hanging out, playing the guitar by himself, and then just has the presence of mind to quickly write a song to explain exactly where Baron Corbin ran to. That was great. Yeah. So Strowman gets thrown out of the match, and then ultimately main event is a four-way match. The winner gets Lesnar at the Royal Rumble. So yeah, John Cena, Baron Corbin, Drew McIntyre, and Finn Balor. Now, <clears throat> going into this, who did you think was going to come through and take on take on Lesnar? Who did you have in mind that they had this written for? John Cena all the way. I did too. Yeah, I, I felt I mean, like I would have. It felt like it made a ton of sense, and I've heard that they are really trying to make sure that they sell out at Chase Field. So getting Cena on top that seemed like a really easy way to do it. I was, but... I was the only thing I knew for sure was that Corbin wasn't winning. 
<laughs> exactly. But I was also rooting that they wouldn't take the easy way and put in Cena. So I going into it, I, I wanted either Finn or obviously Drew to come out of this. And I'm telling you, at, you know, the match is 10 or 15 minutes long. At some point in time, McIntyre just gets thrown out. He's out of the ring for an extended period of time. And then out of nowhere, just Claymore <laughs> kicks Cena into unconsciousness. And I, for a brief second, I thought it was it, that this is ending and he's going through. And then seconds later, hopes were dashed. Well, I'll tell you, I'll tell you when I thought it was over for sure with the mindset that Cena was going to win is when he hit the top rope super attitude adjustment on Finn. He gets hung up for a minute, but gets the pin down. There, there's a pin fairly quickly after that. And when Finn kicked out of that, that's when the roof literally lifted off my house. <laughs> and it is now somewhere up in outer space right now. Oh, it goodness. is ascended into space. So do you really think, you think there's a chance that they're going to have Finn take down Lesnar? I don't think so because I think they still want Lesnar in the, you know, whatever, I don't know how they're going to bill it at WrestleMania, the co-main event or the men's main event, but yeah. I still think it'll be Lesnar McIntyre at WrestleMania for, for the belt, which probably means that you're going to be very happy <laughs> leaving Chase Field. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. But there is a rumor going around. And again, you know, if you believe the rumors, which I think, you know, the success rate is about 50% that, Rollins and Lesnar have been seen working together already. So the other way they could go with that, I suppose, is to have a Rollins-Lesnar main event. But to me, I feel like McIntyre-Lesnar is a more believable main event just because he's so much bigger. Like, that's the problem with him wrestling Finn Balor is, like, he's going to just ragdoll him all over the ring for 10 minutes. And then he'll, you know, it'll be like the match he had with Daniel Bryan. You know, Finn will have some little spurt of offense where I'll have my shirt, like, you know, three quarters of the way off. (laughs) And then, yeah, and then uh, F5, it's over probably. (laughs) Oh, goodness. So I had one more question related to Finn. This is directed squarely at Tommy. Are you going to, is it about his abs? Because I'm happy to answer any questions about those. No, but if Finn comes out at the Royal Rumble as the demon, will, will you come out as what you've always known you are and finally admit to us? (laughs) <laughs> your orientation will ascend out of chase field <laughs> yes if he if he comes out of the demon yes let me tell you i will i'm gonna be pumped up for it anyway when that music kicks in i will be it will be time it will be time to go for sure yeah, but if he comes out as the demon i can't guarantee anything <laughs> what if he does the title match as normal Finn, but then enters the rumble as the demon. Oh, whoa. <laughs> yeah. My mind is blown. So do we need to, we have a new intercontinental champion guys. Yeah. I don't know what they're doing there. I, I wish I, I wish, I wish we knew. I've got it was a good I, match though. It was it a was. really interesting match. I was surprised. I mean, I was surprised at the outcome, but I don't know what, I don't know what they're doing there. That was, I will give him this. That was, was the first time in a while that, cause he hits the spear and then he covers them and you like, I thought it was a false finish all day. And then they count three and they're like new champion. I was like, Whoa, really? 
<laughs> I felt bad. I think for, they even uh, looked a little surprised. I felt bad for Ambrose because it was he was all set up to lose to Rollins. Like I mean, he was basically a stomp away from being done, and then ends up getting speared. So it, they were basically saying that it didn't matter which one of them, but he was not winning that match. No, but I think it also helps. Um, probably free up Rollins to go ahead and ascend to the world title picture now. So he's out of a feud with, for the intercontinental he moves on maybe, and who knows, maybe this gives Elias a chance. I think so. Yeah. He's, he's but scored was... a few clean victories. I, I hope that in the meantime though, so I mean, we've got time between Raw and WrestleMania, but I want to see the Rollins Leo rush match so bad. <laughs> I think it would be fascinating. I bet it would because be they, good. you know, when when they were having that match, there was two different times where they just teased them, chase them over the ring, and Rush is backflipping and jumping over him. I want to see that match. I'll tell you what I wanted to see is so we have this out of nowhere surprise title change, and to uh, Lashley's credit, you know he had a good run around. I can't believe it. But if there was ever a time to grab the belt and do the glute pose in the middle of the <laughs> ring, that was it. Yeah, that's true. The glute pose I mean, is becoming default for Point Break Dave. I feel like about half the text he sent me this week have ended in demanding that somebody do the glute pose. So should we focus been... should we focus on your favorite moment of Raw? Which was oh. the commercial break right before a moment of bliss? So attitude era, where the guy is bringing Alexa her coffee. <laughs> oh, uh, she, she's, she's shirt off. I just, I just pictured Point Break Dave just slowly getting the lighter out. <laughs> no, the pause button was enabled for three to four and a half minutes. Sure. <laughs> oh, but yeah, man, they've they're definitely ratcheting a lot of things back to. Attitude era style, and I'm loving it. I'm loving every second of it. I'm loving Vince McMahon on the show all the time. I'm loving flipping over limousines. <laughs> it's so great. Did you like when just ultra cocky heel Vince gets out of the limo and the driver's kind of standing there for a tip and he makes him wipe the car <laughs> off with his shirt <laughs> and then just walks off? So great. Oh. So I think that's our wrestling update. Yeah, and we are two weeks Don't away, care. gentlemen. Two short man. weeks away from the uh, field. Yeah, less than that. Yeah, you a week can and see. a half. So I have There's a question. A... I have a logistical question for for both of you, but specifically for Glenn. So as you uh, know, we've been doing our baseball trips, and I've been obtaining the stadium pin for every stadium I visited. Since I'm seeing a, an event in Chase Field, can I count that as being at Chase Field? Or yeah. do I have to go back for a Diamondbacks game? No, I think you're visiting the ballpark. You're visiting the venue. You're not necessarily having to see the team yeah, play. Yeah, and, 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 and not only that, it's not like I'm driving by the venue or going in the gift shop. I'm actually, yeah, I've literally spent hundreds of dollars on a ticket for an event. I'm going to be on the field. I don't know where you guys are planning to be, <laughs> but we are actually going to be on the field. So I feel like that's I'll... definitely worth counting in my uh, my quest of the ballparks. And plus, I'm sure we'll sample... Uh, whatever local delicacies they have there, walking tacos and the like. Wherever Paul Bearer is wheeling me around. <laughs> I might be on the field. I might be facing the wrong direction outside. <laughs> I don't know. Just I'm at the mercy of where he takes me. So when this episode releases, we are 
a week and a day, I guess two days from the Rumble, a week and one day from leaving for the trip, which Glenn, I'm actually kind of glad that we're flying separately from Tommy, because can you imagine after hearing Tommy in his corporate plane experience, he's just going to be at the gate just telling everyone, yeah, I'm not used to having to get here early, you know, I, I usually just park right at the hangar. He's going to be just yeah. insufferable. You you know what I did do yesterday? I paid Let's the extra it. money for the seat upgrade on AA. Yeah, you got to do that sometimes. So you're talking to a guy that's sitting in row seven for his flight. So, wow. I will have extra leg room all the did way to Sky Harbor Airport. <laughs> And as a leukemia survivor once said, believe that. <laughs> <laughs> so speaking of uh, people that aren't doing very well, um, I want to run this by you and see if I was duped by the homeless today. I think I was, but I just felt good being duped by the homeless. All right. So there's this guy that I pass on the way home from work most days who's just kind of He's he's set up in the in the median of uh, I think it's the intersection of Spring Valley and the Tollway. He's usually just sitting there. He's got his sign, you know, whatever. But he's got something. I don't know if he had burns to his legs or some kind of other injury to his legs. But they used to be all bandaged. Well, at first they were just like open wound, nasty looking. Then they were bandaged, and now it appears he's getting They're some gone. kind of treatment. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> he was on the the board we slide under a car he just knees down on that you know um so anyway he's in the same spot and he's got his uh, i mean he's you know it's cold outside he's got his hoodie on he's looking straight down he, without even looking up he holds up this sign new sign he's got that basically says something about uh i guess the city took his dog away and they put it in the in the pound or whatever and he needs money to get it back but he hey he only had this and this is all written out like this sign you know you you're not beside me but this sign is like <laughs> four feet tall i was gonna say either that or he wrote really small so you must have been stopped for I, quite yes, some time I was, and i was two cars back from the intersection so that's it was written fairly largely as well but it basically says i didn't have enough money i need this amount uh, because they also had to, they won't give me the dog back until it's neutered. So I have whatever, and I need 45 more bucks. And so I'm like, man, so this the, guy was is... the board like electronic so that the total <laughs> changed? It, was, <laughs> it, was, uh, it wasn't like a tote board thing. Okay. Not the yeah, Jerry Lewis telephone. I mean, clearly he, he collected some money, so it must be less than 45 at this point. So I'm assuming that, you know, this guy around seven o'clock just kind of walks normally over to his 2016 Escalade and drives back to Forney. But I gave him 40 bucks and said, go get that dog, man. Oh, I thought you needed 45. I didn't have 45. I had 40. <laughs> you got so, duped by the homeless. And that's, and you know what? Credit to that guy because tugging at the animal heartstrings and asking for a, a, a larger amount of money are probably both really like 
plus EV things to do in the world of homelessness. <laughs> so, like, hey, he, the guy doesn't need a two dollars for a bus ticket. He needs forty five dollars to get a dog neutered. And all of a sudden, here comes Uncle Glenn. <laughs> two follow up questions. Okay. One, did his sign have like a counter like days since they took my dog? Just counting up. <laughs> no, it did not. And secondly, let's put ourselves in the dog's shoes. Which okay. is better? Well, I think life with homeless Bill, there's probably not a a, a needle constantly running <laughs> you around that could take you from the earth within 15 seconds. Which is better? <laughs> He seemed like a nice guy. And I did, when I gave him the money, I did say, basically, go get your dog or whatever you need this for. And then I drove off. Just in case the dog thing is and then completely did you, made did up. And did you kind of make like the... Just <laughs> <laughs> uh, kind of exchange no. the knowing nod with him now? Okay. No, I did uh, I did not. And then I... And then I I hit the Dolph Ziggler music on my, on my radio and sped off. Is is anyone else really starting to like the Gender Mahal theme song? No. Hey, I'm oh. telling you, right, it's just not me. a bad theme song. It's not as good as Samoa Joe's, but it's right there. Dude, he's, by the way, when he got off the juice, he looks so much smaller than he did six months ago. Gender does? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you're a good man, Glenn. I'm yeah, proud of you. I'm all Can right. I, yeah, we move on to that's me 40 telling? more dollars than I've ever given to the homeless, so <laughs> my heart goes go out to you. To the story of me. I, I think it's a victimless, victimless crime, but <laughs> it's one of those things where you walk away and you're like, I have no idea why I just did that. <laughs> okay. So I think we're all fully aligned on the fact that we don't, we try not to engage other people at the gym in conversation, right? We're not yes. a talkative guy at the gym. Or women. Or... <laughs> just, I just don't want to talk to anyone. I just want to do my thing. Right. Yeah. And, and this has become a significant challenge for me since I've been walking in the gym wearing giant knee brace. Oh, it's, yeah. It's very difficult to avoid. Oh, man, what happened to your leg? And then explain that. How's therapy going? I have to build in like an extra 10 or 15 minutes just for talking these days. <laughs> that sounds horrible. So what's your, what's your go? What is your go to story on the knees? You, you say like, well, you know. Have you ever heard of the disarmor? Well, I passed out before I tapped out. <laughs> no, I usually tell the truth and not that I was executing a falcon arrow on somebody <laughs> and twisted my knee. Uh, so anyway. All right. So anyway, so we're all we're all uh, of the same mindset there. But yeah. And Tommy can. Tommy may know who I'm talking about. There's one guy at the gym that we go to, well, Tommy used to go to before he moved away, um, that I do talk with. And Ah, oh, yes. 
Yeah, he kind of has the body type of Kevin Owens. If Kevin Owens was in Lucha House Party, that's <laughs> that's the guy. If Kevin Owens' name was Kevin Ramirez, that would be him. <laughs> that would be the guy. But uh, super nice guy, you know, see him in there early in the morning when I go, and sometimes we talk. So for a long time now, you know, he's noticed that uh, – Tommy and I will work out together occasionally. He knows he knows we're uh, friends. So Tommy hasn't been there in a while because Tommy has moved away. So Jim guy comes up to me. He's like, hey, I haven't seen your friend Tommy in a while. And I could have gone with the, hey, well, you know, he took a job and moved away. Instead, I went with the, yeah, man, you know, I've, I've really been trying to to get him out here, but he just, you know, he's just kind of given up on working out and just doesn't have time for it anymore. And he, you know, he won't come in the morning because he's always out late. So I'm essentially starting to build like a year long story arc <laughs> that's going to end <laughs> with Tommy with full type two diabetes, <laughs> weighing like 300 pounds. Be like, yeah, he's got the diabetes. <laughs> But I just, I've started laying the groundwork, and then like a month from now, I'm like, yeah, man, you know, I saw him. He's he's getting chubby in the face. <laughs> yeah. It's just going like to go on. Chin. <laughs> I, I fully support where you're going with this. I think this is the way to play this. I think this is the way to play this out. And, and if you can even put it a little bit further, like diabetes, then maybe in 2020, something's going on with my leg. And then the next thing you know, like I've got a dog, I really need neutered and I need 45 bucks. <laughs> and then, and then some music kicks in and there's me at the door. It's yeah. It's suddenly you're just, a, you're apologizing that you're so good. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I think we're supposed to talk about a TV show. Yes. The main that is event. the plan for the next, I guess, there'll be eight episodes, so it'll be the next uh, seven weeks, because they, they double-dipped us the first week, so we got episodes one and two. So why did they do that? Do we know? Um, You know what? It's kind of like a relay race. You you do it to build excitement. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Interesting. But um, I, I heard the... Uh, the I, know, I know two things. One is that the numbers... Uh, on HBO were really good, and two, when I first tried to watch it, HBO Go was was essentially crashed from too many people trying to view it at the same time. I I was running into major uh, buffering issues, and sorry, we can't play this title at this time issues, and then I called Point Break Dave to make sure the password I'm stealing from him was still right, and <laughs> we got back on the horse. Yeah. So we are talking about True Detective Season 3. We should probably set that. Yes. Despite my pleas to you both to go back and revisit True Detective Season 2 instead, just uh, to be no. different. No. We are talking about True Detective Season 3, and we will go through the episodes in due time, but I will say... Okay. Uh, <laughs> I will say, not in this episode. <laughs> oh, <laughs> They they clearly got the message from from the pushback on season two and, and you could tell right away that they were going back to the season one well. I mean, to the point of where the whole show revolves around a deposition of a detective which is, you know, straight out of straight out of season one. 
And the other thing they did, you know, and this is just in a global statement, is that it seems like the story's really going to focus around one specific case and really one main lead character where, you know, in, in the second season there was, you know, you could make the argument there was really four main characters and, you know, very, very convoluted stories going on. This one seems to be more straightforward in the in the aspect of that we're we're essentially talking about the same case the same thing now we were talking about it at different time periods but it's the same thing yeah and it all centers around a like a solitary event that happened where season two kind of progressed like this is all centering around that first night and the the investigation of the aftermath Mm -hmm. of it but well and season two went with the bold strategy of let's have like three or four really convoluted threads that none of which really go anywhere. <laughs> and then the credits roll. Yeah. And, and we then, say this was really good. And then even the stuff that was supposed to tie together, it was so confusing how it tied together that you didn't even realize it did. And then yeah. we're yeah. left three years later and all we can re- really remember is the bird head and the sex <laughs> party. And that's about it. <laughs> Both were important, though. So I'd like to test you guys' memory and how good your notes are. Can you tell me the names of the two main detectives in the show? Detective Hayes is the main guy. Purple Hayes, yes. uh, West? Yes, very good. So we've got... It's Roland. Yes, we've got Wayne, Purple Hayes, and Roland West. Dude, I love Roland West, by the way. (laughs) Yeah. Played by the great Stephen Dorff. Yes, and Stephen Dorff. Now I don't know if they've uh, kind of made him to look like he's struggling a little bit, but man, I did not recognize him. <laughs> I don't know if I've seen him in anything since he was like in Blade, and I think that was twenty years ago. But when I noticed that that's who was playing him, I could not believe my eyes. I was like, <laughs> he is not. He, I need to Venmo him forty five dollars. <laughs> He well, he's throwing he's throwing down quite an interesting haircut in the 1980 <laughs> scenes, right. and uh, and Detective uh, Detective Hayes, um, I feel like his hair looks fake. Okay, uh, <laughs> in which part? In 1980, 1980 I feel like in 1980 it looks fake. In 1990, it looks great, and in the 2015 it looks fine it doesn't but i feel like the the 1980 harry thrown down looks like just a step above like the prince of soul glow as far as being just painted on i don't know just a little quibble Dude, i have with the show the uh the whole makeup they've done aging him is incredible like he looks legit in the old scenes and the young like it all it all fits really well i think yeah i think the whatever whatever they did with the age progression on him um just world class in my opinion yeah i think i actually wondered at the beginning whether the 2015 version was was actually the same actor at least initially and then by you know like the second time they went to it i was like yeah that's the same guy but it's so well done i thought maybe they just got some old f to play <laughs> to play uh purple haze in 2015 yeah. and and mr ali to do it for the other uh two timelines so i guess to just reset real quickly the whole thing is centered around this is in arkansas right yes and boy does the uh creator of this series nick pizzolito i don't know how to pronounce his last name he loves the seedy, beaten-down small town, doesn't he? 
Yes. Oh. Very much so. So great. So we're in, is it, I can't remember, is it West Finger? There's a finger in there somewhere. <laughs> Boy, I've heard that before. <laughs> oh, I bet you have. <laughs> uh, that's Ballard Club is place. for everyone. <laughs> and it's centered around the disappearance and we know murder of at least one child, one of the two Purcell children. That's right. And yeah. it's just solving solving that case. So um takes place in Arkansas. Essentially the kids ask their dad, hey, they're gonna go ride their bikes to this park. He tells them to be back before dark and they don't come back. And then non hilarity ensues from there. Do we know what uh good old Tom Purcell, the dad, did anyone get a look at what exactly he was doing to the car? Because it didn't look like it should have taken that long. He had to air cleaner off. I'm I'm thinking yeah. if, if he's changing the air cleaner, that's like about a four minute job. He had the air cleaner off at you know four in the afternoon. Then he's been so enthralled in it, he looks up at ten at night when it's all dark and realizes his kids aren't home. <laughs> but to his credit, when he goes and looks for him, car starts right up. Yeah, car seems so. to be doing just fine when he was driving it around. Boy, talk about adding insult to injury. You lose your kids, and then like the car stalls out in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> you don't that know what you're more upset about. Uh, so let's see. So the kids disappear. Um, the detectives are having a really strenuous night <laughs> of hanging out at some kind of trash heap, just shooting at animals. Yeah, sitting hoping in, that they sitting don't have in to lawn do chairs, uh, having beers. And uh, yeah, taking pot shots at rats and almost a fox. Right. Didn't want him to shoot the fox. So I'm assuming they're they're showing that scene to kind of allude to the fact that I guess not much goes on in this town, even though everybody in the town is super seedy. <laughs> You'd think that there would be just like some type of sex crime or something going on every night of the week. And they were right at the end of their shift because i think they uh, when they did get the call from the purcell house that they said wow we almost made it and then they did something point break dave does frequently which is quickly search for the gum <laughs> to mask the pungent aroma of alcohol on the breath i've it left works. i've left local mountain ranges with both of you guys when that play was being put into motion real and quick I, and i look like Ace Ventura, right after he just figured out he made out with Ray Finkel, and he's got like the whole pack of gum, just cramming it in there. I kind of wanted at some point that night for them to uh, get in some sort of shootout and then go to pull the trigger and it's just empty. And they're like, oh, I shouldn't have shot all my rounds at rats. So um, next, next they make their way to the Purcell household. And Which is a treasure trove of bizarre things they find in that house. Well, first the mom gets back Which from is... whatever she was out doing. Which oh, is we know speculated. What she, we know what she was out doing. And, <laughs> and they clearly have a very stable message as she immediately jumps all the way across the conclusion mat and blames everything on on Tom and it basically like he purposely just sent them to be killed somewhere. 
and you just wanted Tom to just kind of sheepishly say, the, the car is running real good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, did you hear that? It's purring like a kitten. So, I mean, and I, I don't think I, first I was watching this on my phone, much like Dave watches Raw. What are you doing? Uh, what are you doing watching this on your phone? This is a cinematic masterpiece where you need well, the large screen experience. It's primarily because HBO has pulled all of their channels from Dish Network indefinitely. And I don't know really? what's going on right now. Yeah. So, but your HBO Go subscription doesn't work? Well, I or I think I already had that. It's not it's not through Dish. Like I actually pay for it. Do you have a way to stream it to your TV through HBO Go? Do you need uh, a Roku? I have one. Send it over. <laughs> oh no. Have someone deliver it. So if you were gonna time. if you were gonna use one word to describe your TV, it would not be the word smart. <laughs> like we it's can exclude as, that word from the description. It's not as smart as current technology. It's like um it's like Tom Purcell smart. <laughs> but well maybe not it's Detective Hayes smart. Yeah. Yeah, that's a that's a good way. It's not quite trash can man smart. <laughs> it's more Tom. But so they get to the Purcell's house and that we gotta we gotta search the house. And mom and dad are really not happy with any suggestion that their kids may be deceiving them. They may have lied about where they went, stuff like that. So Isn't I mentioned got a real my... stat that like in in actual missing child cases, like more than fifty percent of the time they are literally in the house. <laughs> yeah, that. Also could be the case. Um, but I mentioned watching on my phone because I, I believe there are really like fine details within these this show yes. that you have to pick up on as they're walking through the house. And as I read on about some stuff today, I didn't pick up anything about they went into the boys' room and he's got like these Dungeons and Dragons yep. books and other stuff that could have, you know, maybe some sort of a demonic or satanic yeah. theme. And then there was also just like a boy scout hand guide, which is kind of like painting the picture. Cause there was obviously sexual abuse in the history of that. So you've got that, you've got that dynamic. I think, I don't know if you noticed the, um, the picture they found in the daughter's room of like just the, you know, I guess it was probably her mom and dad having a wedding, but then there was like the little dolls were kind of drawn off into the side of the picture. That might be hard to see on an iPhone 2. Yeah, it, it was, <laughs> to be honest with you. With a cracked screen. But I think I think what they do in these shows is they, they put so many, you know, I don't know if they're, I don't know if Easter egg is the right word, but they put so many false flags out there, red herrings of different things just to get people talking. So, you know, none of those clues could really have anything to do with it, or one of them could be the thing that cracks the case. It's right, kind of like the deal with the uncle. Like, I'm pretty sure the uncle is not involved at all. all. Yeah. But no, I think he's just a weird character, because we don't, they find the the peephole from the son's, son's room, closet yeah. to the to daughter's room, but uh, I mean you don't know. Even though the uncle was staying in there for like several months, but I don't know if that's gonna that's gonna go anywhere because in the montage of the kids take off on their bikes and they go to the park, they pass like several people. Mm -hmm. So they they establish that people in the neighborhood would have seen them, you know, dry or riding by. You see the three teenagers 
that are going to their hangout, pull over and just glare at them as they <laughs> as they ride by. So you've got all these like possibilities, like, ooh, that guy did it, that guy did it. And then you have the trash man who's riding his <laughs> go-kart with a, a trailer full of <laughs> body shop items behind him. Seeing that guy, if that guy just the scene of him driving down the street. If that had been in Race Night at Broman Gray, you would be like, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. Like, didn't even, wouldn't even raise an eyebrow. Just a guy named Jim. So there was, there was two things that stuck out to me. Um, I mean, like almost from the beginning. Uh, are you guys familiar with the case of the the West Memphis Three? No. Why? Okay, why does so- that? That was. What when we were in college? Uh, early nineties. Okay, okay, early nineties. So anyway, it basically took place in Arkansas. <laughs> I think it was West Memphis, Arkansas, which is confusing. <laughs> but took place. Yeah, in the Arkansas. way you said that was real cocky. The Memphis Three, of course, it took place in Arkansas. <laughs> yeah, and there were three kids. I think they were like eight, nine years old that were murdered, and they found them in the woods taken in the woods and they were murdered and they found them like in a in a creek and essentially these three teenagers got charged and convicted of the crimes even though there's really no physical tangible evidence that they did it but it was a lot of it was based on like in the 80s and 90s the satanic panic of uh you know there's devil worshipers in the woods everywhere and Isn't these that teenagers that's the only thing that goes on in the woods right <laughs> These these satanic stuff. Yeah, these teenagers and their uh and their loud rock music and their Black Sabbath t-shirts and that they're you know sacrificing things and the occult and all that. So basically, this reminded me of that because they're looping in teenagers. They've already got the kid with the Black Sabbath t-shirt. Yeah, which, by the way, did you recognize him from anything? The kid that had that on. Yeah, the Black Sabbath kid. Ooh. Oh, you know what? No. You guys didn't watch 13 Reasons Why on Netflix, did you? No, I don't like terrible shows. <laughs> I like shows that are good. I wish I could I wish I could argue that point, but I really can't. But I did watch both seasons and he is a uh, he is a mainstay on that show. Does he kill himself in that show? Uh no, just mainly listens to Black Sabbath a lot. <laughs> okay, so he's kind of typecast. Yeah. <laughs> So right. th- those, yeah, those are my, from like the very beginning, just because I've had listened to some stuff about that case recently and I was like, wait a second, Arkansas, they've got three teenagers as possibly suspects. Are they just ripping off this other case and they're just <laughs> going to build it around it? Which they, which they don't, but that definitely, uh, came to mind. So I think the, most of the rest of episode one is, uh, the interviewing of the people that are involved or may have seen them that day like even at school like they're pulling people out of class freddie barnes they're pulling out of class <laughs> and detective hayes meets the uh english teacher oh uh, yes miss amelia that's important because detective hayes he'll uh He'll try to get two jobs done at once. He'll try to solve a murder and string things together with the teacher of the kid that got murdered. <laughs> hey. Hey, time is money, man. I I agree, man. He's working round the clock, 
shooting rats and getting cats. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what's happening right now. As a matter, in a matter of speaking. Yeah. So, but they're yeah they're dragging these kids out of class and you know seeing what they saw and I I think Freddy's and the Black Sabbath's kids' accounts were pretty consistent, but it it seemed more like the Sabbath kid was saying yeah we also saw the kids at the park. Right. Where Freddy's just saying we just saw him on the road. Right. Which if they saw him at the park, that wasn't nothing we saw except that when they were at the park, the scene they showed at the park, one of the kids is goofing around on a really small bike, right. which you kind of wonder, okay. No, it was that, it that, was the kids. Yeah, bike. if that bike is there, were the kids there, or were the you know the were the um you know teenagers just jacking around with something they found there and and never actually saw the kids. So I think. That's a question that remains unanswered, but you know, not to skip too far ahead into episode two, but obviously the of the three, the Black Sabbath kids, the one that they're worried either knows something or is gonna crack because there's kind of this weird scene out back of the school where their other two kids really seem like they're shaking him down and and giving him a hard time. So I don't know if they're worried that he's gonna be the weak link that's gonna say something or that he did something that they're trying to distance from. But there there's there's something going on there beyond just like, yeah, we were sitting in our awesome purple Volkswagen and we saw him uh, drive past on the right. And we should say, I think it's fairly early in episode two. Um, obviously, they've been, you know, getting the town together to comb the woods. And Detective Hayes, who we find out was a, what, what was it? He was he like was a in, reconnaissance. Yeah, he worked in recon. But essentially, he's a tracker where they just dump him out by himself, and he finds the boy in one of the more creepy ways you yeah. can find a body. Yes. Anytime yes. you find a body and it's been posed, that's never a good sign. No. No, not at all. And along the way that he's tracking it, he finds like some tire tracks and he finds a couple other things that are leading him down this path. Then he finds these mysterious dolls, which True Detective season one, we had like the the little stick. Blair, yeah, the Blair Witch looking stick yeah. thing. It yep. was everywhere or hanging everywhere. And I don't think we had any of that in season two. We just had erectile dysfunction in season <laughs> we had two. The, we had the glove box pharmacy. Okay. <laughs> Which, by the way, I think you need to recreate that in the Silverado. <laughs> so we had that. So we have these dolls, and but those were set out to, if you got that far, it would lead you to the cave where the boy was unalive. But I was glad that at least, you know, it wasn't like a violent discovery, I guess, if you, if you will. I kind of feared that I was going to see something I really didn't want to see. You know, just from a graphic standpoint. Yeah. No, I was. I thought that was going to be much more uh, gruesome than it was. And sister, nowhere to be found. Yeah. So Wayne Purple Haze leaves there feeling like he's got to find the sister right right now. You, you know, I think he feels like he's close. Um. And then we get a we we flash back ahead to 1990 real quick for the big twist at the end of episode one. Yeah. Which is that, uh, apparently Julie, the then 10 year old in 1980 is still alive because she 
her fingerprints were found at the at at a scene of a robbery at a pharmacy 10 years later because because she was in the system from i guess they were able to obtain her fingerprints or whatever got her in the system in the missing persons database 10 years later there's a pharmacy robbed and there's a hit that it was her fingerprint and that's in 1990 right yeah and that's 10 years after the disappearance so we we leave you know as they're jumping around in the timeline we leave 1980 where he's just found the the son he's convinced that he's about to find the girl and then the next thing you know it's 10 years later they've never found the girl and not only have they never found her now potentially she could still be alive and this is where i think it's very interesting from just a storytelling perspective because it is similar to season one in the fact that it's kind of centering around a deposition and then flashing back but in season one you kind of they were telling the story in the deposition kind of parallel to you seeing it happen in real time but now like we know no one ever finds the daughter at any point between now and when they discover her fingerprints in 1990 so it's kind of a weird when they flash back in episode two and they're still looking for the daughter, it's kind of a weird thing that you know they're not going to find her right. and you know there's not going to be any real close calls because they've already told you that she, well, she doesn't get found. In the scenes for the deposition in 1990, you can also ascertain that they're trying to overturn a previous conviction, but unless I missed it on my phone... <laughs> They don't say who's in jail that they're trying to, to no, overturn the conviction. No, I think we're gonna of. we're gonna probably learn that in the next episode or two. But somebody's somebody or multiple somebodies are doing time for this crime, and perhaps even for the murder of the daughter. If they were able to get a conviction based on the you know the fact that they found the the son and the the daughter you know is presumed dead. Um, but her turning get the up feeling. alive certainly is cast some some doubt into who that is and you do get the feeling that in the 1990 deposition when they are talking about overturning it that hayes never bought the conviction back in 1980 which means it has to be trash man right uh i mean it's very it's very possible or it's uncle peephole well i'll tell you what uncle peephole needs to be in jail it's also fascinating the flash forward to 2015 when Purple Haze is, you know, however old, you know, say in his mid 70s, we'll just say that. But he also has he he's starting to lose his he's been losing his mind and losing his memory over the years prior. And at one point he was listening to recordings of himself, or was that him just like talking to himself? Like it was just like voice in his head talking to him, or was he actually he was listening, listening to, to recordings of another deposition? Okay. No, I think it was like a. I think it, it was, was like where he recorded. Yeah. So he could listen to it himself and remind himself of. It, it seemed very memento-y. Yeah, because it said almost like he was talking to himself. Like this was a message. Yeah. That um, hey, you're you're not remembering this stuff. You're you're losing it. Blah 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 blah. But you here's what you need to remember. Here's what you need to tell him, type of thing. But that's that's a fascinating aspect as it moves forward. Whether how important that becomes that as the years go by he remembers less and less. 
do we maybe i'm read too much into this do you remember a creepy part of that recording where he um, says something like always remember the drawer oh the yeah the gun he opens there. the drawer and there's just a gun in it and you're like well, what, what's he telling himself to do <laughs> yeah if you need it he said if yeah. you need if you need the drawer and of course he looks over he's like i wonder what's in here and <laughs> oh there it is no, there's a gun it wasn't royal rumble tickets <laughs> <laughs> so if we wanted to yeah. tease out the memory failing a little bit more and this jumps around a little bit but you know he's obviously with his with his son especially you know he's asking the same questions over and over again i mean he's clearly you know especially in for the short-term memories really having a hard time they they talk about another girl which you're going to assume is his daughter because there is another young girl um that's in some of the flashback scenes in the 1990 time frame that seems to be really cute and sweet that he's either estranged from or having some kind of uh, of an issue. But there, I was reading one thing online that was really interesting <clears throat> is they, um, they kind of tell how when he would ask the son about her or what was going on with her, they would, um, they would answer it slightly differently. And at one point they said, well, when was the last time I saw her? And he said, well, it would have been at the funeral for the mom. Right, but there there's a theory out there that maybe the daughter and the mom actually died at the same time in the same incident, and they're not they they've kind of come up with other ways to tell him like oh well she she's she's far away you can't see her because they don't want to constantly keep having to tell a guy who has short term right. memory loss like oh your daughter's dead and then have him go through the like shock of that every day so I don't know that's kind of a, a flimsy theory but somebody that had really paid attention to how all the words were thrown around and thrown about in the show. That seems to be something that maybe we could keep an eye out for um, is what actually befell her. Uh, and, and if, if in fact, uh, maybe, maybe she uh, is no longer with us and not just um, living in California, as they said. That's interesting. But the mom definitely, she's definitely out of the picture. Yes. She is. Life wise. Um, but they did, they did get to capitalize on her book about the case in the meantime, which I'm sure assumed or detailed the fact that, that Julie Purcell was no longer with us. And now that's turning out to be, I guess her book turns in, it goes from nonfiction to fiction on the bestseller <laughs> list. Be a great opportunity for her to get another, uh, set of accolades for the great work. <laughs> shift into a different category if you will that's right yeah you just rebrand rebuild reclaim <laughs> so i think the uh biggest discovery in season two season is two. or episode two thank you i'm happy um, to talk about season two at any point. <laughs> we can go bur full bird head right now if you want <laughs> detective hayes um is uh has a lot of things on his mind when it comes to Amelia, but one of the case-related ideas he has is to show her the picture of the doll and have her ask around the students. So she kind of is covertly doing that. And we uh we find a kid that actually knows something. And it all centers around the creepiest day of all, Halloween. <laughs> and what that tells them is that somebody in the neighborhood 
knows something or did something related to this case. Because someone was allegedly handing out those dolls and gave one of them to Julie. Yes. That's the that's the story. And that was the the very weird, you know, because the kid knew she got him, but he's like, no, you know, we were together and she didn't have it, and then we were back together and she did. So that there's makes no sense. real, yeah, no, there's no real pinpoint though. Like they have the, yeah. he marked out all the houses they went to. There's like 144 possible houses in this in this whole development, if I remember correctly, because now as they're finding out this information, the feds are brought in. And that's always tense. Yeah. And so they're being real, you know, let's all work together. Let's share information right now. We'll see where that goes. But now there's also politics because I guess it's like the DA or whatever. He's coming up on election and, you know, Hayes has the idea of, uh, or maybe it was Roland had the idea for the surveillance and just to go up to every house and basically just ask, can we look around? thinking that uh, most of the people are just going to be okay with it in the town because yeah. they trust, I guess they would trust the detectives. They want the perp, as they say, <laughs> on the street to be found. And uh, Mr. DA is like, we are not doing that because he doesn't want to piss off the people and he doesn't yeah. want there to be a panic. Right. But still, I don't, I don't understand that. Because, I mean, like you kind of have a, not a super small, but you kind of have it narrowed down to you know whatever 50 houses like the kids aren't going to trash man's house on halloween you know and asking for a rusty carburetor or whatever he's got to hand out like you have the little neighborhood houses that they would go to it seemed like a good plan i was with roland yeah um I lost my train of thought there, but yeah, that got that got completely, completely shot down, and I think that that could be kind of a common theme is that there's going to be a definite definite barrier to uh, them completing their investigation, and maybe they're going to find something they're not supposed to find, and maybe that's why the feds, and maybe the the coastal elite, <laughs> and any other you know. Pizzagate is involved in this <laughs> at some level. We're going to get to that that level of conspiracy at some point, potentially. Could happen. So another funny, well, I say funny, but uh, another interesting sidebar that happened in this episode was um, one of their detective buddies that's working in Vice undercover, which, by the way, uh, I think that could be a spinoff show is what this guy's doing, but he's basically, he's a police officer that's basically running an adult bookstore adjacent to a truck stop. That is fertile ground for a spinoff show right there. (laughs) But uh, he had tipped off the detectives that, hey, there was a guy in here asking for some uh, very special types of materials that uh, might not necessarily be legal to sell. And uh, you guys probably ought to give uh, a talking to to him because he do- he was in the general area of where the crime was committed and and um, had a past record uh, for um, misconduct with uh, those uh, not of age. Yes. And, and that it- interrogation led to a pretty great line when they asked him, 
do you like kids? Was that that guy or a different guy <laughs> that they asked him? He goes, no. how the F are you supposed to answer that question? That, that, I thought that was the Purcell's dad. No, 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 no. That was no, Trash that was, Man. No, oh, that was me. That was Trash Man. Yeah. It was in his interrogation. Yeah. And, how and, the F and, are you supposed and, to I wouldn't yeah, exactly but, call what they did for this gentleman an interrogation. This was this was 1980 pre body cam, pre Me Too, <laughs> uh, pre Obama's America. This is how police work was done: is they they grabbed this guy out of a restaurant, threw him in the trunk of their car, took him uh, outside of town a little bit, handcuffed him up to a pole, and uh, beat the answers they needed out of him. Indeed. We, we assume they just beat him up. They didn't kill him or anything, because they definitely went to his employer, which was like a daycare. Well, it wasn't said... his employer. I think he was volunteering there. Oh, okay. Well, he... I guess they didn't do background checks <laughs> in 1980. Yes, the background check process was a little more difficult, but I think the line there was, "You, you won't. He won't be coming in to help anymore." Right. But then he, they also said, "If he comes back, call us." So they didn't yeah. kill him. Yeah. Oh yeah, good point. They did not kill him. They just beat the hell out of him. But they no, did I mean, he was technically in the trunk the last time we saw him, and then they got the call that they needed to get to the Purcells immediately. And you never actually saw him let him out of the trunk. So he, for all we know, could still be in the trunk. <laughs> Maybe that'll be a recurring theme yeah. through all the episodes. It's just he's in the trunk the whole time. But they gave him the you know the scared straight speech where it's like, well, do we need to do we just shoot him now? You know, I know where we could get rid of the body. Or do we, you know, turn him into his parole officer and throw him back in jail and, and you know, mention that he was a, a pedophile? And uh, and then there was a really unfortunate line issued uh, about how he might meet his demise in jail. Oh, I man. will not be repeating it on the faith-based podcast of choice of the North Dallas Tollway, but... It even yeah. shocked uh, Roland. Yeah, it was, it was quite graphic and quite shocking and... Uh, it involves it a uh, a color and uh, a word that rhymes with uh, rooster. Yeah, I thought I had no idea he was working in Chicago Blackhawks talk, <laughs> but he did heavily. And Roland was like, "Man, you've even scared me about prison." <laughs> He's like, "I don't, I don't want to hear hear about that." So I, I want to talk just briefly about uh, the garbage man. Which what, what's his real name? Um, but real name on the show. What's his character's name? I'll find it. Hold, Hold on. on. But I, there's no way he did this. I think that'd be too obvious. And but remember, season one of True Detective is is you actually encounter the Yellow King in a fairly throwaway, innocuous scene, and he's driving around on a riding lawnmower. This guy's driving around on a go kart. There's parallels there. That's, that's true. And and they that's do true. they do occasionally on this show, you know, they don't necessarily always make it the most hard to figure out thing. It could be uh could be could be Man. something there. But he See, did I have kinda... he did have that line of do you like kids and he's like how the hell do you answer something like that? But um since we know there is a conviction I kind of think Okay, that he may makes be, sense. He may be the weird guy that they're like, yeah. all right, we're just going to pin it on him. It gets pinned on, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, no one will miss him, and then we can, quote unquote, say we solved it, you know. That makes sense that he gets he it gets pinned on him, but I just don't think that he actually, no. that he actually did it. They're going to find, like, 
where he could play like a Sabbath album backwards in his <laughs> in his house and be like, yeah, this guy worships the devil. He had to have murdered these kids. <laughs> Wait, people saw him driving up and down the road during the timeline where they were murdered. That doesn't matter. <laughs> I did love like when they uh, first encountered him. And I think it was Roland was soft pedaling. He's like, so we see you like to collect things. He's like, I pick up trash. <laughs> yeah. He's like, don't make it something that it's not. Yeah, yeah. I pick up trash. It's not soft pedal this. So from there, I think I think the final scenes, episode two, unless I'm leaving something out, it goes 2015 when Hayes is is older, and it's like the family dinner scene, and they're talking about he's looking through some stuff, so he's thinking about his wife, and I guess he had been interviewed for that TV show that day, but he cut the interview short. Um. And they're talking about the daughter and his son is real put out just by the conversation, which is kind of, is that frustration just because he's answering the same questions over and over? Or is it to the point of the idea that she's dead and they can't, they just can't tell him because they can't have him go through that again and again. Yeah. Well, and you did, you did, you did skip over something that was fairly important, which is that um, when they were, after the the interaction with the pedophile, they the reason that they were summoned hastily back to the Purcell's house is there is a ransom note now. So we don't want to forget uh, that. Ah, yes, the and note. The uh, the only interesting thing that I could find because it's the uh, the classic you know 1980s ransom note of cut out letters from paper and magazines was that it said something to the effect of uh, kids deserve to be happy or something something along those lines. And if you take that at face value, maybe means that the kidnapper perpetrator and the crime knew that the kids were in a, you know, in a bad house, a bad home, you know, where the the mother and father were at odds, perhaps, um, you know, if you, well, if you were to look into, look into that at that value. Yeah. Cause it says, do not worry. Julie is in a good place and safe. The children should, should spelled S H U D. Should Is that laugh. How you spell it? Uh, no, not quite. Oh. You'll need, you have to guess at least one letter and then spend 250 bucks to buy a vowel. <laughs> uh, should laugh, do, do not look, let go. So I guess don't, yeah, don't come looking for her. She's fine and she's happy. Doesn't mention uh, non-Julie, whatever his name was. <laughs> It doesn't say anything about him being safe. Well, he's not I don't know what he yet. should he's do. He's not. Well, if, if they mentioned him being safe, they would probably that would be disingenuous. Yeah, <laughs> that would not be doing very well. That would be in poor taste. Yes, that would be in poor taste, in my opinion. So we had the note, then we had old man family scene, and then I believe that leads us to the conclusion of the episode, it does. which. I'm trying to figure out, was that a direct, he's wandered outside and he doesn't know where he is, or is that just representative of all the just crazy things going on in his head? I think that's in his head. I. I we should clarify, the, the final scene is 2015 super old Detective Hayes just out in a street. Well, no, like he's in standing pajamas. in front of the street where their house used to yeah. be on uh, yeah. Shoe. What was it called? Shoe, uh... Brook, Shoe, something. Yeah. Yeah. But it was he's like at an intersection. Shoe pick. Shoe pick. So it's like a three-way intersection. I swear, whether it was there before or it was symbolic of every of something, but so it's like a three-way intersection. 
And then beyond where the road is, it looked like there was just a big pile of garbage. Right, which is probably where their house used to be. Maybe so. Yeah. I was thinking it was just symbolic of garbage man <laughs> doing 10 years in prison for, and by that point, maybe it's like 35 years for a crime that he didn't commit. So like, you feel like that the city had ceased all operations in the garbage department because it was being taken care of. And then when they incarcerated the guy in the go-kart that the trash just piled up for 10 years. Yep. And he's in the prison system, just uh, kind of just trolling around inside the facility with some old pieces of old lunch trays and stuff just staring people down telling them about the war some deep Ho- hopefully hopefully learning how to spell the word should <laughs> so two episodes in i'm giving it two big thumbs up from this guy how how are you guys feeling about it i i i i'd give it two thumbs up i'm very curious as to all the twists and turns that are going to keep it interesting when you kind of know the end, more or less. Yeah. I think the thing I'm most interested in finding out, and I'm hoping it happens in the next episode or two, is I think it's pretty clear they're going to find Julie, and something happens in 1990 that causes him to quit the police force, and it's whatever went down with Julie. Yeah. I'm I'm dying to know what that's going to be. That's that's what's killing me because they're going to find her. Something's going to happen that's going to drive him from the force, but they're also not going to have solved the crime. So she's not going to provide the answer that they need to actually solve the case because it's 2015 and they still don't know. Yeah. Right. So I mean, all the setup is is there, or there's more of that on its way with the the different timelines and just the you know aspects of the overall. Uh, mystery. So I don't think as we go through the next two to three episodes, I don't think that's going to be an issue. I think it's going to keep building and building. It's just going to come down to the payoff of episode. We got eight episodes total. I think so. I, I'm I'm yeah. just saying that based on the last season. Yeah. So it's going to come down to episode seven or eight. And as I just compare, uh, you know, compare and contrast everything these days to Bird Box, <laughs> <laughs> is this going to be, you know? build up and great all the way through or is this going to be like really really good for like 85 90 percent of it and then just bird boxes at the end with like the <laughs> lamest ending of all time like they just walk into a room and the kids were really alive the whole time and now they're like all you know 48 years old and have kids of their own like it was all a dream or you know it's just something weird like that surely not surely nah. not Couldn't good be that news bad at least for me and Glenn is this will get us right up until the premiere of Game of Thrones in April. Yeah, Tommy, you going to you going to binge so you're ready. You ready for GOT? How by much I mean that would be that would be like hundreds of hours of binging at this point, right? Uh I mean there's Not only hundreds. Yeah, I mean there's only 7 seasons or 8. I don't even know if there's been that many. I was gonna say six, but so if there's six, there's there's not more than like ten episodes in a season. Yeah, so that's sixty potentially hours. sixty episodes at an hour or so a piece. Yeah, dude, it'd be worth it, man. Yeah, I wish I. This is something I should have been doing a month or two ago when I was living by myself in an apartment. That's true. Well, I'm about to uh, because it's been since, I guess. 
late summer, early fall 2017 that it was on. So I'm about to re-binge the whole thing over the next few months. And the premiere coincides with the end of my rehab, so I will be ready to ascend into space <laughs> once we get back to the battle for the throne. I'll be riding a dragon. <laughs> mm-hmm.